Welcome to this JFI Talk on our L'Chaim podcast. These are archived and new events and workshops from the Yedda Nashman Jewish Family Institute in Toronto. We aim to help Jewish families go from good to great by offering amazing workshops, speakers, classes, and events that bring wisdom and knowledge from Judaism, psychology, science, and culture that speaks to our issues as Jewish families and leaders today. For more information, check us out at myjfi.com. And now, let's get growing. Uh, before I begin, I just want to, just a quick word here. How many people were at the talk that uh, you just heard of, the, the talk on suicide? So just a, a quick word, powerful. And whenever, you know, you hear from a survivor, it's... It's inspirational and it's good to know. But I want you to know something else, and I think it's important, and I just want to say this, it's not part of my talk. Uh, as you'll find out in about a minute, um, I'm married to a child psychiatrist. We're knee deep in the mental health stuff. Um, just this afternoon, I got a text message from an old friend asking for a referral for one of her friend's kids. And as my wife taking patients at uh, Women's College Hospital. My wife was playing with our kids, and so I turned to her and said, are you taking referrals at Women's College Hospital? She said that, get the family doctor to fax the thing. Within six days, she'll have an appointment. I'm working with a young woman who's had depression her whole life. When she was pregnant two years ago, We were able to get her a psychiatrist at Sunnybrook to follow her throughout her entire pregnancy and follow up with her after her baby was born. She's doing wonderful. I can't speak for how services happened 20, 30 years ago. I do know that things have improved and it's not a horror story and there's a lot of good clinicians and the wait times for certain things I, I primarily do marriage therapy. It's hard to get a good marriage therapist. It's hard to get a good marriage therapist covered by OHIP. But for mental health services, for kids in this, you're not looking at six-month wait times. I, I could just tell you at least at Women's College Hospital. So just wanted to let everybody know that. Okay. So my it's weird to introduce myself. I mean, my, my bio, who am I? Um, I'm Avram. <clears throat> I spent the first, I would say, 12 years of my clinical career working with teenagers. That was my bread and butter, working with teens. Uh, child protection for three years in Vancouver and Burnaby, Jewish Family Services, drug and alcohol worker in Vancouver for a couple of years, early psychosis team at CMHA right here at Lawrence and Allen for about two years. And I've been in private practice now for about seven, eight years. So I've seen almost everything, eating disorders, not my thing, but pretty much everything else. So that's, that's my bio. I have, I have three books uh, written, mostly about relationships and marriage, but the theory touches on uh, all this kind of stuff. So having said that, where is the book? This book here... This is a, a book I co-authored with my wife. It just came out uh, five, six months ago. This is for couples and for singles. 
we're running groups. There's a, a men's only group at, uh, in my home office starting in three weeks. We're doing a women's only at the Village School. My wife and I want to turn this into a parenting course. Ba same theory, same exercises. We're looking to pilot the program. If you are interested in what I have to say here today, if I turn you off completely, you will not like what's in this book. But if I say anything here tonight that resonates with you, send me a text message. Uh, that's my email. Just say to me, um, I'm interested in being part of the pilot project, and we'll get back to you, and uh, we'll let you know when that's happening. Okay, that'll be in the summer and fall. Okay. So, Ellie asked me to pick something to talk about. I wanted to offer you something that's universal, not gender-specific, and not specific to a certain psychiatric diagnosis. I picked the counterintuitive idea, when I focus on you anxiously, you do worse over time, and I feel worse over time. Okay? If I focus on you, positive or negative, you're so fantastic. Oh, you're, you're fantastic. And even though you're like, I didn't even do anything. No, but you're fantastic. You're, the more I focus on you, over time, you will do worse, and I will feel worse. Okay? <clears throat> you guys know this as parents, because when your kids come home, and just when you need to know something, I don't mean like, how was school? I mean, you need to know something. Did you apply to university? I've been asking you 17 times. Are you depressed? Are you not depressed? How do you feel today? You get this. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right? And then they go up and they're on subreddit, on reddit.com, on some sort of subreddit, and they're chatting for seven hours about their mental health issues with a stranger. Right? In my office, it sounds something like this. Mother, father, kid. Mother. Usually the caller, not always, for therapy. Usually it's the mother. So I start with the father, because I start with the mother, two-thirds of the session. And it could be the father. If the father calls, two-thirds of the session is going to be, it's the caller. The caller's the most anxious. Start with the father. What's the problem? Bloody, bloody, blah. Okay. Start with the mother. What's the problem? Teenager. Why are you here? What do you want to work on? <laughs> oh, I don't know. And then and so, and I'll turn on and go, but you're here. I mean, you're in my office, right? So what, what do you want to work on? I don't know. Right? And then, and then the mother or the father's leg is going like this, and they can't contain themselves, right? They go, what do you mean? You just got suspended. You're smoking drugs. There's a grow up in our basement. Right? And so I turn it in. So, uh, so I'll turn to the kids and say, so what's the problem? I don't know. Right? This happens every single time. True story, different province. So, by the way, for confidentiality issues, I change things, okay? So, I, I had, this is, this is a true story, okay? When you're in Vancouver, the drug problem in Vancouver is, is more serious than it is here in, in Toronto. I had these two siblings in my office. Cute, 14 and 15. They're both smoking a lot of meth. So their parents are in the office, and, and they're there, and they're like, they're like, you know, they have that like jonesing kind of like, they need a hit. You know, they're sitting there like this every session. 
and the parents were like, we're freaking out. We're freaking out. It's Matt. Oh my God, we're freaking out. And I turned to them, do you have a problem? No. <laughs> no. Right? And the, the truth of the matter is, we work from a harm reduction model. When your kids look at you and they say they don't have a problem, guess what? There ain't no problem. How do I know? It's the same thing with your spouse. If you turn to your spouse and you think they're overweight, and you're like, look at you. You're not healthy. You're going to drop it of a heart. And they don't think they have a problem, right? How many of you have changed your spouse? How many of you have looked at your spouse and said, you're a slob? And they're like, thank you. You know, it's funny because my whole life I've been walking around, right, thinking I look good. It wasn't until you told me I'm a slob, right? Isn't marriage grand, right? So th this, this whole issue of... Um, of changing another. I don't know how you do that. And by the way, if one of you have changed, your spouse or your kid, we will co-author a book and we will make a killing. How to change your kid in seven easy steps. So what's going on? I, I really want to make this more interactive. I'd like I'd like people to I don't know. I'd like people to get involved, right? We were just talking before and I said, like, you know, you gotta help other. Uh, what what is it? It's so fascinating. What is it about the people we love the most, the most, get the least amount of information? Remember, don't think just about your kids. Think about your spouse, your, your, your parents, your siblings. The people we love the most seem to get the least amount of information. The people that we're not as close to seem to get the most important information. And maybe that's not true as adults, but definitely as teens. How do I know? This is how I know. Because even a teenager in my office who's verbose, let's say, you know, a precocious 17-year-old girl who wants to be Anna Floyd or something. So she's in my, oh, I love therapy. Oh, it's so nice. I have, plus, I'm skipping school. So, yeah, she's going on and on in therapy. Right? When her parents leave, I hear a completely different story. You know, I remember I was working with this from kid, uh, a Hasidish, a Hasidic kind of kid. So I meet the parents, whatever, three or four times. And she was quiet the whole time. And they're worried because she's falling off the derath and all this kind of stuff. So I meet her alone. <laughs> within like three, whatever. She, she looks at me, she goes, did you ever ask my mother if she observed Shabbos? So I'm like, no, because what? The, the father's sitting there with a full black, you know, the cast in and the mother. Why would I, like, I mean, what a crazy question, first of all, you know, I mean, you two, the, the most religious looking people I've seen in the past five months, do you observe Shabbos? Like, they think I'm crazy. <laughs> so she tells me, just, every Friday night, the TV's on, and I hear it, you know? Like, so, so I said to her, so are you going to raise this the next time your parents are in? And she tells me whatever he kid tells me in front of my parents. And then, then you hear that it'll give them a heart attack. They'll kick me out of the house. Uh, they'll get divorced. And some of it, by the way, is real and some of it is imagined, okay? Any idea? Question. Why do the people, why do your kids turn to Reddit uh, for those of you who don't know Reddit, it's a bulletin board, subreddits on, you can find anything on Reddit to talk about anonymously. Why do kids turn to strangers, your, your friends' parents, you know, your kids come home, right, and they say, you know, John's parents get it. They get it, right? What's going on? Why do the strangers get the good stuff, and, and you love these kids to bits, and you don't get the good stuff? Yeah? They're not judgmental. They're not judgmental? Okay. They listen about... They listen. They listen. Without really attacking. Okay. Yeah. They're not emotionally involved. 
they're, they're a step removed. So even if it's a, a good friend, like a, or an ass, or whatever, they can step back and look at the situation. They can also look at the dynamics between the child or the teenager right. or the young adult and the parent. And children also know their parents' buttons. Mm -hmm. And often, even if they completely disagree with them, and they might be right, uh, they still don't want to create a problem, which in and of itself creates a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think being somewhat removed gives the, the person who's struggling uh, with whatever they're mm -hmm. struggling with the ability to open up. They also have to trust that person. They often don't trust their parents. Often they feel their parents are doing things intentionally harmful, but they're either protecting their parents or they need to protect themselves. Okay. Interesting. Okay, we'll take one more. Yeah. I think that uh, they feel less vulnerable being able to share with someone that doesn't necessarily have vested interest. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny what you just said. People ask me sometimes, how does therapy work, right? Now, there's lots of different, therapy is not uh, uniform. There's different types of therapy, all, all, you know, but how does therapy work? And I would say part of the curative, part of what works in therapy is, I don't care so much about you. I sleep just fine. You want to you, you smoke pot seven times a day? I mean, the only thing I really care about, of course, is you know, uh, uh, human beings at risk, suicide, or someone, you know, God forbid, someone talks about you know wanting to hurt someone else. That kind of gets me a bit prickly. Plus, I have a home office, so you know. But other than that, other than that, you want to go out and do whatever you're doing. I'm kind of curious. By the back to your point, you know, it's, I, find it, I find it always funny, right? When you know your, your kid, your kid comes home one day and tells you, you know, that medical school thing. I'm over that, right? I'm going to go study jazz guitar, right? And then you're like, what's, what's wrong with you, right? But then they tell you, then they tell you, what's with you? I told, I told Susan's parents and they were fascinated. They asked me questions about it. You know, what kind of scales are you going to learn? And it's like, and you don't care. You don't care about it. So it's, it, all of what you said is true. I mean, it's, it's true. But... Um, but I think something much more critical is going on, and that's really what I want to focus on today. But we need to start at the beginning. Now, if you had your sheets, I would have one of you read this quote. I'm going to read this quote. All the quotes I'm going to read to you today are from a body of knowledge called Family Systems Theory. It's been around since the 50s. Marie Bowen, Dr. Bowen, who created this therapy and theory, died in the 90s. It's still... It's still being done today. If you hear authors like uh, Harriet Lerner, Dr. Lerner, The Dance of Anger, Intimacy, her, uh, Esther Perel, David Snarch, um, who else? They're all sort of neo-Bowenians. They're all systems thinkers. The quotes I'm reading you today are from that body of knowledge. I happen to practice from that orientation. Question, and we're, we're going to keep this brief. What is the most important thing that teenagers need to thrive? We're going to remove water, air, Food and love. That's all off the table. I assume that's already happening. Okay? What is the most important thing teenagers need to thrive? And when I say thrive, I'm going to define that for you. To launch out of your house 
and not be in my office when you're 23 falling apart. My office is full of early to mid-20-somethings and early 30-somethings who did not launch properly and are very, very anxious and they don't know how to get a job. They don't know how to hold on to a relationship and they're just freaking out. So what do kids need to thrive? Yeah? Comfortable in their own skin. Sense of self. Self-confidence. How does that happen? I agree with you, but how, how does that happen? Encouragement from the parents, a good peer group. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, sorry. Acceptance. Acceptance from? The people in their life who they feel closest to. Okay, yeah. I say support and trust. They need to know that if they make a decision, that we support them and trust them if they made the right one. Okay, okay. So all this is good stuff. I mean, who's going to... I'm waiting for someone to get up and go, I don't know what you guys are talking about. A good slap! All right, that's what kids need. I'm going to read you a quote. This quote is from Dr. David Freeman. He was my supervisor. Um, such a beautiful man, this guy. He, he was uh, a family therapist and a marriage therapist in Vancouver, British Columbia. He taught at UBC. He started the first family marriage training institute in Vancouver uh, in the 80s. Uh, and he trained with Murray Bowen in the, uh, in the 60s uh, in, uh, in the United States. This is a quote from our book that's coming out in the summer. Tragically, David died when we were writing this book in 2010 on a bike ride in Croatia with his wife of a heart attack. Um, but I, I, am launching, uh, I am launching the book. His widow gave me permission, and the book will be coming out this summer. Here's a quote from the book. If a parent is unable to create an environment where their children feel seen, heard, and understood, they will find someone else who will provide that for them. If a parent is unable to create an environment where their children are, feel seen, heard, and understood, they will find someone else who will provide them that opportunity to, to, to feel, be seen, heard, and understood. What do you think David is talking about when he says those three things? Feel seen, heard, understood. Yeah. Self-esteem. Sorry? Self-esteem. Self okay. Yeah. Themselves. To be themselves. But what's your name? Kathy. Kathy, let me ask you something. You know, actually, no, I'm not going to take that. That's not fair. I'm going I'm to open this up. And, I, and I'll start because I don't think it's fair, by the way. I, I don't like clinicians that sit in our every tower. I, I don't mind sharing some personal information. I could tell you right now, when David and I would talk about being, uh, this whole idea of being seen, heard, and understood, I thought about my parents. And God bless them. They were great. My parents were great. Did I feel seen, heard, and understood? They loved me? No question my parents loved me. But here's what I learned in tw when I was 12. I was in sleepaway camp, and I had a crush on this Moroccan girl, Alana. She was beautiful. And I wrote my dad from Camp in Abrith. I was in... I, <laughs> sorry? Nassim. I was in Nassim. I wrote my dad a letter. I wrote my dad a letter, and I said to him, Dad, I have a crush on this girl. Wait to... He sends, it's, this is letter, by the way, this is back in the 80s. So he, sent, he sends back, or maybe, really, he sends back a letter to me, and it goes like this. Dear Avram, enough about the girls, tell me about the sports. Okay? Now, you know, it's funny, right? There's no trauma there, there's no suicide, we're not talking about schizophrenia. You know what happened? You know what happened? I did not say another word to my father about any of my relationship experiences for the rest of my life until my 30s when we repatterned our relationship. 
then I start opening up in my engagement, which was a whole other talk. I had a bit of a commitment foe, but then I start opening up to my father, okay? But for most of the most important moments of my life when I needed my dad, in that one letter, he did not see, he did, he did not understand, he did not... His own anxiety about his son having a crush overwhelmed him, and he said, talk to me about sports. I get that. My mother? My mother could talk to me about girls. She would, oh my God, he asked my mother everything. But then one day I had another crush. Lovely Catholic lifeguard. <laughs> oh, this girl was just a lovely girl. She happened to be Catholic. So I come home one day and I tell my mom, who by the way up to this point was open about everything with me. And I come home one day, I'll never forget. And I'm like, Mom, this is Kathy. Oh, she works your lifeguard at the pool. Kathy. <laughs> is she Jewish? And I said, and I right there I was like, every answer now is good. There's no right answer to that. So I'm like, she's not Jewish. You're going to kill your Zadie. If your Zadie, who's coming here tonight for a show, you will kill him. And then, of course, you know where this goes. The hot, you know, six million. And I was like, oh my God. So never talked about any interfaith issues with my life. And this happened throughout my life. What, now this is what your kids do, by the way. You should know this, and you do this in your marriage. You walk through your life like a, you know in World War II, the minesweepers? You know they would look for mines? That's how we live our life in our families. You go like this, oh, you don't want to, oh, you know? and, and you walk through your life. And then what you do is, what you do is, you map the people you love the most, that you love the most, because you need the people you love the most. Your teenagers need you, by the way, more than anyone else. And they start to hide the best parts of themselves because they realize that's getting my mom anxious. Oh, dad doesn't like that. You know, every 30-something guy in my office who has something with pre-ejaculation problem, impotency, whatever, sexual. So I say to the guy, how long has this been going on? He's like, well, I've always been anxious about sex for most of my life. Oh, how, what did your dad talk to you about masturbation or sex or anything? And then they all have their story. It's fact. Not one guy's looking at, oh, that was good. No, my dad sat me down. You know, it's really, you know, very old. Every guy has their story. And it sounds something like this. Uh, this is a true story. My, my dad came into our room one day. He said, don't tell your mother. Dropped a bunch of hustlers on my bed. Walked into the room. <laughs> and that was the last thing he said to me. That was one story. Here's another story. These are all, all true stories. I was 13 years old. I was in a hot tub with a private school girl. She was so cute. And we were doing nothing. My dad came in. Sorry. Get out. Right? He looked at me. He ringed me up. Never told him. Oh. We map the people we love the most because we respect them. And then we just withhold the best. So just a quick question. And you can be honest. Right? How many people felt that they were seen, heard, and understood it in your family. Just, I'm just raise your hand where you talk to your parents about anything and you knew you would not be diminished in the process. How many people here? One? Both parents. Two? <laughs> both parents, sure, both parents. Three. Okay. I could tell you, and we're, we, I want to move on. Uh, I want to move on. I could tell you that I have had people uh, uh, in my office, I've had grown-ups, grown adults, cry in my office when they think about you know, they're a physician and they always want to be an artist, but they just could never tell their parent about that dream. And they're in their 50s or 60s, and they've never been able to actualize that dream because they're so busy fulfilling someone else's dream. 
And they'll sit there and they'll just break down because their parent is dead. And they can never even share with them now that they've taken an art class about it's a tragedy. Okay? Now, you hear this. It takes a village. It takes a village to raise a child, right? Everybody, you know that quote, it takes a village, right? And implied in the idea that it takes a village to raise a child is that parents, a good therapist, soccer coach, guitar teacher, it takes a village. Here's a quote from, I think, the largest study I've ever read about families and teenagers. This quote's from Dr. Roberta Gilbert. She's a psychiatrist, a family systems thinker as well in the United States, and an author of many books, great, great writer. This is her quote. The largest research study ever done found peers to be an influence on uh, your teenager's lives, but was far down the list. Researchers found the relationship with parents to be by far the most important factor in whether teenagers engage in risky behavior such as drugs or sex. If you go onto Reddit or any forum and say, parents or peers, pe most people say peers. Pe oh, oh pe culture, peers, Twitter, much more impactful. Read almost any news article, you'll hear that. Not according to the research. You know, in Vancouver, I, I worked with some street kids. You know, you, they're usually from Quebec. They, they, they find their way out because it's warmer on the street in Vancouver. So if you're shooting heroin and you're living on the street, Vancouver's a better place to be than, trust me, northern Quebec. Every one of those kids with a spike, you, you pass them by on bay, on bay when you're downtown, with a spike this, and, and they look like they can kill you in a second. When you get them one-on-one -on -one, and they're 19, you ask them, Right? You ask them about their parents. And these kids have suffered horrendous abuse. When they get vulnerable, there's this longing to reconnect with their mother. Like, will my mother and father accept me? For, like, can I go back home? And, and I gotta tell you something, it's a tragedy because we would call the parents and the parents don't want them for good they're, they're safety reasons and whatever. There's a longing even in these street kids to reconnect with their parents. You guys are so important. And sometimes I find that the media and some other messages discount the role of parents in your kids' lives. Okay. Are you surprised by this? How, how many people here are genuinely surprised that parents are important in your kids' lives? I, if you are, please let me know. No one. So isn't it fascinating that Parents who are clearly, at least according to this study, I think it was 79,000 people, so important, the very people who are so important in your kids' lives, again, distance from you, when they need you the most. It's so weird, and it happens in my office. So what's going on? I want to slow things, th I want to slow things down. And what I mean by slow things down when a couple's in my office, or the family in my office, our brains are working so fast, you can't see the process of what's happening between people. So I like to slow things down. When did your depression start? What day? What time? What else was going on in your time? Slow it down. And when you slow things down, guess what you see? A dance. A dance. We dance, and there's consequences to our dances. So I want to slow things down. The dance idea comes from Harriet Lerner, the dance of intimacy, the dance of anger. 
the people that we love the most we get into rigid anxious dances with and we don't know how to remember it's kind of like slow dancing the stairway to heaven and you're like i really don't like this guy but he's holding on a little too tight and you're like how do i get out of this dance that's what it's like with our family members we get into these rigid dances and the more chronic and long-term the dance people start to get really uncomfortable in these dances okay and harriet Lerner has written about this in all of her books so how are, we, how are you guys doing? You're doing it for time? You're doing okay? Okay. So I want to put on a really quick one-act play here. Okay. Oh, this is ruined. Okay. I'm not an actor. I'm a guitar player, so I just want to let you know I don't act. So this is the first time I've ever acted in front of anybody. So bear with me here. I'm going to be the parent in the team, showing you the dance. Okay. So it goes like something like this. I call this the zit. Hey, uh, Eric, how was school today? <laughs> it's okay. What's on your face? It's a pimple, Dad. <laughs> you pick it? What are you? Just it's just a pimple. I know, but so how do you fit through a door with that thing? <laughs> you know, I've got some cover up upstairs. I think. It, can I go to my room? No, just hold on, hold on one second. I'm seeing Dr. Schwartzman tomorrow. We we can I, I we probably can get you a, a referral to a, a skin a skin skin dermatologist a dermatologist. I'm fine, Dad. <laughs> you know you're a little lippy when you do that. I mean, I've noticed that you 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 know you get a little quiet, and I'm just trying. I just I, I care for you, and I'm fine, Dad. <laughs> Just, I mean, I could have, if I went on longer and longer and really got to what I see in my office, which really, the, the gears, get, they grind. What comes to mind in your, in your, in your tummy and your feelings when you think about the kid? What comes to mind? The kid is a pimple. What, what comes to mind as you watch that about the kid? Thinking of your own childhood. Sorry? You're thinking of your own childhood and your own experience and you're projecting that onto your own kid and he's feeding off it. But when you were watching the kid though, did anything come up did, did anything come up for you watching the kid interacting with the parent? Well you're watching the kid suffer. You watch the kid's embarrassed, he doesn't want to walk around with his head, and you're making a mountain out of a mole instead of giving him his space and acknowledging and thinking my kid he's got a pump, it's not great, he's been a school all day, the kids are all beautiful, just let him have his space and got his room. Right. Okay, yeah. So someone else yeah, yeah. I think the kids get anxious, but at the same time he has respect for the parents to say fuck off <laughs> and you just say, okay, let me swallow that and get out of here as, as quick as possible. That's what I think. I have, what's your name? Clara. Clara, you know, that idea of how can I get past my parent as quick as possible to get onto Reddit Right? Or call, like, and I bet you, whenever, I, I don't know if you remember this, I remember when I came home, right? That was my thought. How can I do the least amount of damage to the living room? Here's my, here's to my bedroom, right? To listen to Motley Crue, you know? Right? You know? Exactly. Right? That's what's going on in a lot of kids' heads. Anyways, um, what about the parent? Any visceral reactions about the parent watching me as a parent? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're a parent who just won't let it drop. Mm -hmm. the, kid doesn't, like, the kid doesn't want to talk. It's just like, it's just a pimple. 
that you escalated it to way more than where you even started. Now you're taking it to a dermatologist. Right. And now he's getting lippy. And all you did was ask him what's on his face and he told you. So here's the thing about what you're saying about, you know, it's just a pimple. I chose that, I, I said to Ellie, I'm going to use the pimple because a pimple is benign. It's, it's silly. You know what I see in my office? I could do the same thing with depression. You, you look a little sad. Are you sure you're okay? Mom, I'm fine. I'm just a little bit sad. No, but I read an article. I read an article on medium.com and they said, they said, if you're not meditating and taking your medication, I could do the same thing with schizophrenia. I could do the same thing with bipolar because I've worked in all of them. Okay. And what you find is the kid, you, you'll see this in my, in my office, I'll see this. When someone is focused on, they shrink into the couch, their body language moves away of the focus, and what happens is the parent starts to move in more, and then you start doing it. Think about your marriages. It's the exact same thing when your partner is focused on you for almost anything in an anxious way. The key is anxious. In an anxious way, I need to self-soothe my anxiety so you have to do something for me. People start to do this over time. Okay? Yeah. Do you have a chance? Can you show us what a good conversation? No. No. First of all, why would you buy my books? If I give you the answer, we're going to get to that. If you actually, if you had this sheet, um, I'll, I'll say, oh, there was a flyer uh, with the quotes and uh, pretty much what you're asking for. That's sort of like the, I came up with like seven steps to think about going forward. Send me an email. And I will send you the, uh, the worksheet, all the, um, uh, with the research and all that kind of stuff. Just send me an email and say, please send me the, the sheet and I'll is send it to you today. Is that, the is that at the registration desk? No, I don't think it was printed. Just send me an email. Sure. I'll, I'll get it to you. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah. I found when my needs were very, very young. Uh, they would come into my room at a very young age, come into my room and they would say, I want to go for slush. It's like so I put on my house coat and... This is midnight? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they kind of, I, kind of like, I want to go for slushing. So I put on my house coat and I would just go. And at that early stage, that's there were, no one's on the phone. It's late at night. No one else is in the car. And that's when they would tell you things. That's when they would want to... They would talk, like you're communicating. And then as they got older, it was... One o'clock in the morning, I want to go for sushi. I can switch from slushy to sushi. And there are times I'm thinking, you know, I have to get up in the morning. I've got to teach. Da, 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 da. You just like a hole in the head. But I would put on my clothes and I would go because same deal. That was when they were talking. And it would be my reaction because a lot of times they'll tell you things you really don't want to hear. Right? And you have to stay cool. Otherwise, you're right. They will not speak to you. But it's on their terms, not on yours. Well, we're going we're gonna to come in. Very interesting. I thought you were going to keep going by the end. Three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, this woman's unbelievable. You know? Where does she sleep? Okay. It started very young. Okay. And it never really stopped. Right. Now I'm married, so it's not. But, right. Uh, <laughs> You've got to take, take your opportunities when they present when themselves. They yeah. um, I want to read a quote now by the founder of Family Systems Theory. This is Dr. Bowen. There is some gems in this. We're not going to have time to tackle this all, but we're going to go through this sentence by sentence. And then, uh, sorry, what's your name? Uh, the Eliezer. Eliezer. I know you. Are you brought? 
Yeah. I'm Abba's friend. I'm one of Abba's closest friends. We'll talk after. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I just I spoke to him on Friday, actually. It's amazing. Okay. Here's the quote. I, I'm going to read it twice. Okay. Spouses focus their anxieties on one or more of their children. They worry excessively and usually have an idealized or negative view of their child. The more the parents focus on the child, the more the child focuses on them. He is more reactive than his siblings to the attitudes, needs, and expectations of the parents. The child's anxiety can impair his school performance, social relationships, and even his health. I want to slow this down, sentence by sentence, because there's some very important stuff here. Okay? And, and we're going to use the pimple example because I think it's, it's, we just, it's an easy one. We just discussed this. Spouses focus their anxieties on one or more of their children. At the beginning of that thing with the pimple, what was the anxiety? What was the parents? Uh, what was the um, the father anxious about? His kid would be an outcast or not be able to say hello to that beautiful Moroccan girl from campus. That's that's interesting. You just said that. Why didn't you go to the pimple? Pardon me. Why didn't you go to the pimple? Why didn't? Why did you not say the the father was anxious about the pimple? Because the father. Because I'm. I agree with what you just said from that quote. The father was projecting his own anxieties okay. when he so, had a pimple onto his son. Uh, let's just go there because we're here. Okay. <laughs> In my office, when I get a call for a referral and the, the, um, the presenting problem is whatever it is, that's never what the problem is. And it's not because the parents aren't smart. It's because when we get anxious, we get myopic. Okay? And we tend to see the biggest, brightest thing in the room. Okay? But it doesn't take too many sessions to find out what the root problem is. The zit, right, could be, and there's, Eliezer, there's so many, there's so many um, uh, ways uh, I can go with what you just said. It could be this parent grew up in a house where her mother or father also went. What's that? And we call that the family projection process, how things get projected down generation by generation down, unconsciously. Parents don't wake up and want to hurt their kids or make their kids suffer. It's subconscious. It could be that um, father just lost his job, right? And he's home now, and he's, not, and he's just all worked up, and he doesn't do that. So he focuses on something he can control. We have to be careful with our kids. We have to be careful when we do this work. What Bowen is talking about is that the anxieties we have about our children often are not about what we think, where, where our focus is going. It's pointing to something else. Let's keep going. They worry excessively and usually have an idealized or negative view of the child. Excessively. That's the key. Not something that comes and goes at Monday at 1.30. It comes up again and again and again and again. Can you guys think of anything that is a trigger for you? For me, it's bullying. I have young kids. They're not teenagers yet. I was bullied. I can tell you right now, whenever my kids, I even feel, I even hear like the slightest of something physical with bullying, it's like, it's something, the physical, physical sensations in my stomach, you know, and, and my wife, you know, she's better with it, and then I will calm down, and I'll come, but I, I really, it's something that I'm still working through, because I was bullied for most of my elementary school, and my kids in elementary school. Do any of you want to share, what's a trigger for you with your kids that kind of gets you like all prickly, that reminds you of something you went through? My God, what a healthy audience. <laughs> yeah? But I have a question. How sure. about if the pimple is really, if you, you're, instead of you asking if your 
kids come home and say, I have a people and I want to kill myself because I have these people. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. What's the question? Well, if the, the, the kid is actually initializing something that gives you this. <laughs> you mean so if, if the teenager went up to the parent and said, I'm really worried about my pimple? And, and, and to yeah. a point that, you know, I'm depressed. I'm depressed. Okay, so 20 years of doing this work, okay, I don't know of any cause and effect cases where a pimple equals suicide. No, no, pimple. Right? Okay. I, I, the pimple is just like a, when the kid comes to you right. and say, I don't feel, I feel that I'm depressed. Let me tell you something. If a kid is coming to you and they're already 15, they've done all that mapping already, and you already have, uh, uh, you're already touching on what David was talking about, uh, an open, spacious relationship where your kid feels safe enough. You know, uh, parents will often ask me when they're really struggling, should I kick my kid out of my house? That's what parents often want to know. So, you know, when things are violent and when there's lots of drugs. And My response, based on what I saw in Vancouver anyways, is as a last, last, last safety resort, do you want to kick your kid out of your house? Because so long as they're in your house, you can do something, right? You might have them come up to you one day and say, I'm really depressed or whatever. But once they're out of their house, right, they're at the wilds of wherever they are. So for safety, so we're going to get to some of that in the end, okay? But I can tell you right now, if a kid's coming up to you and they're 15, 16, saying, Mom, can I talk to you? I'm really depressed. You're doing something right. I'm not, God forbid they should be depressed, but if they can come up to you and just say to you, just have them come out of their room, because here's what they're doing, it's Clara? Here's what they're doing, Clara. They're mapping you, and if they think you're gonna be crushed by their depression, they ain't telling you anything. You know what a kid does when they're depressed and they think it's gonna crush their parent? How you doing? Great! Oh, great, and then you find their blog, somehow, and it's all full of, my life is full of loathing, and it's all emo lyrics, and everything is dark. And you're like, what the hell is this? What? Life's great. Your blog is full. And, and in my office, the kid will say to me, oh, I can never tell my mother. Oh, it would destroy her. So again, if your kid is open with you, you're doing something right, is what I would say. OK. Um, I just want to say this one line, and we're going to move on because of the time. How many people here have often said to, you might have actually asked this question before, how many people here have asked yourself, two parents, same parents, right, biological parents, three kids, all three kids are different. How many people here have said, how does that happen? <laughs> two biological parents, three kids, one's a cop, one's a robber, one is whatever. How does that happen? Right? So the answer these days is neurochemistry. This one has more serotonin, this one has more, my wife's a psychiatrist, I can tell you. We don't have any pea blood MRIs. We have nothing to say, we, we took some blood from your kid. They're going to be a rebel. We took some blood. <laughs> this kid's going to be a musician. No, we don't have that. Dr. Bowen's observations of 50 years working with families will say this. We can't get into this. This is a weekend seminar. I'm going to read the line. It's fascinating. The more the parent focuses on the child, the more one of the children will focus on them. That child is more reactive than his siblings to the attitudes, needs, and expectations of the parents. My eldest is special to me. I am not going to sit here and tell you I love all my kids. I love all my kids. I do. It's being recorded. I do love all my kids. But my eldest is named after my Zadie. 
who was very important in my family. In utero, my eldest was already special. In utero, he didn't even do anything. It's not like he came out and played, you know, Chopin or something. He didn't do anything. He plucked out of my way. Special kid. He gets my Zadie's name. And unconsciously, the people in my family treat him that way. My name is Avram. I was named after my uh, great-grandfather who died. Not in the Holocaust, nothing special. But I have a great aunt whose parents, well, no, it wasn't. He just died of natural causes. But his, my great-grandfather, my great-aunt, her kids died in the Holocaust. So when my great-aunt, who lost her kids and her husband in the Holocaust, she was, uh, she was in the late stages of dementia, Alzheimer's, I forget. When she saw me in hospital, I was a kid, I was 12. All the, there was like, whatever, a whole bunch of grandchildren were there with my Zadie, my brother, my parents. She points to me, she takes a $20 and goes, give it to him. I didn't even know her that well. I didn't even really know why my name was Avram. That's the power when he's talking. It's positive focus or negative focus. So if you've ever been thinking, there's so much written about this. If you've ever wondered why some kids turn out this way and some kids turn out that way, I have had parents say, when my kid came out, they look like me. That kid's going to be treated differently than the kid who has blonde hair and blue eyes and there's like no blonde hair and blue eyes. It's so subtle. Some of it, by the way, isn't so subtle. You have a kid with a disability and a kid who isn't. They're going to be treated differently. Anyways, lots of research. Fascinating. The more you focus on one kid, the other kids who don't have focus, guess what? The kids who aren't as focused on it in the family tend to do better. Why? They're more free. They're, more, they're out of the gaze of their parents. They're more free. And even though they might say, I didn't give as much attention as my other sibling, they tend to do better than the kids who are more focused on positive or negative. That's what the research shows. Okay. It is the anxious focus, not the problem itself. Oh, we got to cut it. Okay. Folks. Oh, there we go. But you know what's funny? That was 45 minutes. And so I'm sorry. How about this? Really cut it? Like, cut, cut, cut. Okay. Okay, give me, just, just to, just to, I got to give them the good stuff. It's all like, you know, oh my God, it's falling apart. Okay. A couple of things uh, for you to think about. This dance we get into, this whirring and distance dance, that is normal. That is what human beings do. That is what animals do. It's just part of how we operate as living beings. You focus on someone anxiously, they start to distance. That's not the problem. Okay? Love and worry, we don't have a cure for worry. So if any parents are here thinking, how do I stop worrying? I don't know how to do that for you. Okay? But what parents who, who but I would say healthier families, right? Less anxious parents, whoever those people are. What they're able to do is their worry doesn't override their thinking or their principles. They worry, but their principles are higher than their worry, number one. Number two, their worry doesn't dictate their actions. The families I work with, the most anxious families in my practice, read all the parenting books, and they don't, they don't know where they stand. And they're into attachment this week, and then they're doing CBT that week, and they're going to the hinks, and they're going to the sick, and they're all over the place. And I just ask them, what do you believe? They don't know. And I, you have, no, no, no. But you have to have Rahman. You have to feel bad. Because you ask them about their parents. They didn't know. And you ask them about their grandparents. They didn't know. It's just anxiety passes down. Okay? So the question is, well, what do you do about that? So a couple of things. A couple of things for you to think about. 
If you're able to observe the dance with your kid, right, the dance, you can observe the dance. Oh, that's funny. I keep asking my kid about that, and they're doing this. Oh, yeah, I went to this talk, and there's a dance going on. So you've got to break the dance. So what does child-focused therapy do? You know, you send your kid to CBT. They focus on the kid. In my experience, this is just my opinion, I have clinicians who disagree with me, kids shouldn't be in therapy. I have colleagues who will shoot me for this. I don't think kids should be in therapy. Change starts at the top. It doesn't start at the bottom. You want to change a company. You don't start with the janitors. You start with the CFO and the CEO. The parents are the leaders in a family. They dictate the dance. You don't ask a teenager to stop a dance with their mother or their father. You ask the parent. You have the wisdom. You have the ability to self-regulate, I hope, that you can see the dance and change your part of the dance. And the, the families in my office, by the way, who do the best work. I see the kids, first session, second session, that's it. The kids are gone. They're back in school. And then I'll, I'll get an email from the kid five years later saying, I really want to thank you for the work we did together. I'm, you know, I'm 25, I'm in university. I get these emails all the time, and I think to myself, I saw you twice. I worked with your parents for about two or three years. Okay? <laughs> if you can see your part in the dance, you can do something about it. If you can't see your, uh, your part in the dance and your marriage with your kids, you blame other people. That's what you do. If you can't see your part, you just blame other people. Good luck changing the person that you're having a problem with. Um, one or two more things, then we're done. A couple of questions, and we'll leave here. A couple of questions for you to think about when you go home. Just something, and I'll send this to you so you have this. Is this a real or an imagined problem? The pimple. What's the problem? Not the pimple. Sorry? Not the pimple. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know if there's a problem with your kid? Well, when he, well, when he's at least when he's verbal about it. Yes! Hey, Eric, do you want to do something with the pimple? No, no problem. And guess what? Now you're thinking, no, 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 I know there's a problem. You shut your mouth. You know why? Because when they say no, it's a matter of respect to go, okay, cool. Okay, I mean, barring suicide or they're going to blow up a school. Okay, it's your pimple, it's your face. You walk away, and you know what happens? You create the space for your kid to come circle the wagons at 12 in the morning and come back and go, Mom, I thought about it. Can you call the dermatologist? I would like to work on that. You create the space for your kid to re-enter so they're not so consumed with your own projections and anxiety. Okay? Do they want to do something about it? No. Then you leave it. There's nothing to do at that point. Do they want you to do something about it? Guess what? Some of the worst people to do things for their kids are anxious parents. The worst. Okay? Or anxious relatives. Or anxious friends. The worst advice is from the people who love us the most. You know what? They care too much about us. It's not objective. They can't see factually what's going on. Okay? Last word about therapy, and then uh, I'll end. Some people say, what about therapy? If this approach, this whole approach I'm talking about works for you, when you're looking for a therapist for your kid and you're looking for a family therapist, you want to make sure the clinician has training in family therapy. A lot of therapists on their page, you'll see they'll say, I do individual geriatrics, right? It's a simple question. Do you have postgraduate work in family therapy? Personally, I don't care about the school, what, what school they went to. But if it just says I took the family therapy course and graduate, they are not trained enough to work. Family work is very complicated. It's much easier to sit with a 15-year-old and go, your parents are horrible, huh? Yeah, oh, they suck. Yeah, yeah, they suck. Parents suck. Yeah. What about your school? Sucks. Yeah, school sucks. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you do that for five years, and the parents are like shelling out cash. So the kid sits there and goes, 
the world sucked. The world does suck. It does. It's a sucky place to live, yeah? So if so, if you're looking for a family therapist, you want to make sure to do the training, guys. Thank you. It, it was a little rushed. Thank you. I'll send you all the resources. Just send me emails.